In the name of our one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We have placed before us this morning the miraculous moment of Jesus's transfiguration when he is temporarily revealed in his glory before the eyes of Peter, James, and John, and given to those three, and by extension from those three to the other disciples, uh, and by extension to you and to me as well, uh, given to them is strength for the journey ahead given to them in that particular moment is strength for the journey ahead, strength that they will need, strength that they will need to draw upon, strength uh, that ultimately comes uh, not from themselves, but comes from the power of God made known to us, made available to us, and the gift of Jesus, his son. Uh, We have a miraculous moment, but as we use that word miracle, I'm reminded of the words of Leif Inger, an author who wrote uh, a number of books, one of them, Peace Like a River. And in Peace Like the River, at the beginning, uh, young uh, Reuben Land has uh, survived birth and childhood miraculously. Uh, And he has this to say, let me say something about that word miracle. For too long, it's been used to characterize things or events that, though pleasant, are entirely normal. Peeping chicks at Easter time, spring generally, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle? People say as if they've been educated from greeting cards. Uh, But then he goes on to say this, he says, real miracles bother people, like strange, sudden pains unknown in medical literature. And he goes on to say this, people fear miracles because they fear being changed, though ignoring them will change you also. People fear miracles uh, because they fear being changed, though ignoring them uh, will change you also. Jesus is transfigured before the eyes of Peter, um, James, and John, uh, suddenly, miraculously, and their lives are wonderfully and necessarily changed as a result of this. And, And as we explore this, it's important to give this a little Context. I heard a saying recently that I've never heard before, uh, and that's a, a text without a context is a pretext. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, now I've just derailed everyone. Uh, let's just sort of forget that. We'll think, of, we'll think about that later. Uh, but I want to give a little word of, of context why uh, this transfiguration was such a gift, why it was such a wonderful uh, assurance and confirmation, why it was strength for the journey which lay ahead for them. If, uh, if you've read the Gospels uh, at all, one of the things that you see is the increasing resistance and hostility toward Jesus. And Matthew's Gospel is no different. The resistance and the hostility and the fear uh, of the change which Jesus would bring was existent from the beginning. But as we come to this place in the 17th chapter, of Matthew's gospel, it is increasing and it is also increasingly clear, unmistakably clear to Jesus, uh, but increasingly clear to his followers uh, that Jesus's path to glory uh, will travel through the cross. Jesus's path to glory, the deliverance, which we all uh, so desperately long for and need will come about as a result of his suffering uh, and his self-offering. 
Right before the portion which we read this morning, Jesus takes his followers to Caesarea Philippi. And there is a significance in that. I mean, to you and to me, uh, that doesn't mean a, a whole lot. But, but Caesarea Philippi was, in the time of Jesus, it was many things. One, it was a center for the worship of the Greek god Pan. Uh, it was representative of various uh, pagan worship and syncretism, worship of any number of gods, uh, Pan chief among them. But it was also a center uh, of emperor worship. The, the city, uh, its name had been changed to um, Caesarea Philippi. It was a place where uh, basically power uh, and control and influence uh, were worshiped as well. It was a place um, where sensuality and luxury and all the things that called the people of that day that still call to you and me as well were, were worshiped uh, and lifted up. And Jesus takes his disciples to that place, basically to the place of many gods that want to have a claim and a hold uh, upon people, that still want to have a claim and hold uh, upon you and me as well. But a claim and a hold which will ultimately, which ultimately seeks to uh, ensnare us uh, and to destroy us. And Jesus takes his disciples to that place and he asks the simple question, uh, although it's not that simple, who do people say that I am? And if you remember, they begin to respond, some say Moses uh, and some say um, Elijah. Uh, but he asks them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, the first to speak, says, you are the Christ, the son uh, of the living God. Uh, and in this, there is, uh, there's a small war cry uh, which is given here. Because what Peter is saying in that confession of Jesus as the Christ, uh, he is saying uh, that, that you're the real one and the rest are phonies. Uh, that you are um, the real one and the rest are phonies. And if you are the real one, uh, then that has an impact on our lives as well. Uh, and it calls us to an allegiance, not to these other things, but ultimately our first and foremost allegiance is called to you. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus praises him in that particular moment. Uh, and then he begins to go on and talk about how he will come into his glory, how he will bring about yours and my forgiveness and freedom. The son of man uh, must be rejected. Uh, he must suffer uh, many things. He must be handed over. He must be crucified. He must die. And on the third day, he will be raised again. And of course, those words uh, were not just incredibly foreign to Peter's ears, but to the others as well. Uh, Peter, um, I had a couple of friends in seminary. One was from Manhattan, uh, Bob. And, and Bob was a man without a filter. Um, uh, Bob would say things and I'd just say, I can't believe he just said that. Uh, and I had another one of my buddies, Michael, was from Valdosta, Georgia. And Michael was just as polite uh, as, as could be. And, and one day, the three of us were hanging out together. Michael said, Bob, I really like hanging around you. And Bob said, well, thank you, Michael. Why is that? And he said, you say the things I think, but I would never say. Um, so Peter, in some ways, is kind of like that uh, oftentimes. He, he's the first to speak out what the others are thinking as well. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Uh, this, this can't be. This can't be right. This can't be the way that you'll come into your glory. This can't be the way that, that life uh, and freedom and deliverance is given to your people. And Jesus, of course, we're told, rebukes him in that moment. Get behind me, Satan, uh, for these are the things of God and not of men. And he calls them to take up your cross uh, and follow me. As we hear um, throughout the Gospels, that call to take up our cross 
uh, and to follow Jesus and to find the way of the cross actually to be the way of life, to find that it is only in losing our lives um, that we find our lives. It's only in giving um, that we receive. It's as foreign and challenging to you and to me uh, as it was to Jesus' followers uh, in that time as well. And so I, I share all of that context as we come um, to this time of the transfiguration. They are making their way toward Jerusalem. Jesus has shared shocking news with them about the way his kingdom will come into existence and the way in which his glory will be revealed. And they are called themselves to take up their cross and to follow Jesus, recognizing that as the world has resisted Jesus, um, that the world will resist them uh, as well. And it's about this time that they could surely uh, and certainly use some words of encouragement, uh, some words uh, of certainty. We see that Jesus goes up on the mountaintop to pray. And we see Jesus as well as he exemplifies um, so often this model of drawing aside to pray, this necessary time of fellowship with the Father, this necessary clarity uh, that must come to him also. Uh, and we see that, that Jesus goes and he has this time of prayer as well to confirm this is right, right? Uh, the way of deliverance is through um, the cross. This is uh, correct, isn't it? Uh, Jesus as well goes up for that confirmation and we're told um, that, that suddenly, um, that miraculously, uh, Jesus uh, is transfigured before them. And, and amazingly and wonderfully, it, it's not a reflected or refracted light. Uh, it emanates uh, from Jesus. His true reality uh, before his followers uh, emanates from him in a way which is overwhelming. And he appears uh, speaking with Moses and Elijah. And interestingly, in Luke's gospel, he includes this detail as Jesus is speaking with Moses and Elijah. We're told that they are speaking with him about his departure. Uh, and it is equally translated, they are speaking to him about his exodus. His exodus, that is a, a loaded word in a most wonderful way. Uh, exodus being uh, the deliverance when God will reveal himself, when God will deliver uh, his people from slavery and bondage and take them out uh, into a new place. Uh, take them out into uh, a new reality. Uh, Jesus is speaking with Moses and Elijah. The voice uh, of God comes uh, and speaks to them. Uh, and Jesus is confirmed before them that he, in fact, will be the one uh, to take them through the new exodus. And there's, uh, good heavens, there's not time to, to unpack all the, all the riches in this. Moses uh, is speaking with him. And, of course, Moses, you remember, from Mount Sinai. Uh, and God speaking to his people before. Moses, whose face would be changed before the people as he spoke to God. You remember Elijah and the way that God appeared to him on the mountaintop. In a moment uh, of, uh, basically for Elijah, it was a, it was a petulant pity party uh, which he was having. He had defeated the prophets of Baal. Ahab and Jezebel said, you know what? You're next. We're going to take you out, Elijah. And Elijah said, you know what? That's it. I quit. Uh, I'm, I'm out, God. I can't believe you'd let this happen to a guy like me. Um, I've been your faithful guy. All these other people haven't. I alone uh, am the faithful one. And if you remember, God comes uh, and provides for him wonderfully, miraculously, um, feeding him and providing for him. And then God speaks to him, uh, not uh, in the fire or the earthquake, but in the still um, small voice. God speaks words 
uh, of restoration to Elijah as well. There, there's so much uh, richness here going on in what is taking place. Uh, God who redeems, God who rescues, God um, who restores, and suddenly revealed is the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. Uh, and that the path that he will travel through the cross and the resurrection will be the one which secures um, our exodus. This word of encouragement is given to them. And it's so necessary because not in a moment we will see that uh, though there's this encouragement that things um, suddenly get away from them. And not just in this particular moment, but as they come down um, from out and as they make their way Toward Jerusalem, despite the fact that they've seen this miraculous thing take place, we see that they are still um, people, uh, and they will still um, fall short, and they will still need um, the grace uh, and the intervention of God. They will still need to draw upon um, this particular moment. They will, things will um, get out of control suddenly because we hear as the voice of God speaks, "This is my son, uh, my beloved." Those words of clarity and affirmation we hear. Um, that they are terrified and that they fall down um, on their face as things can so suddenly get away from us. Uh, I had opportunity recently, kind of a, a, a silly example, uh, and, and yet it doesn't seem to be stopping me. Um, I had uh, an opportunity um, recently to go um, skiing with a couple of buddies, and it had been a uh, it had been years. Uh, I won't tell you how many years. It, it had been uh, a lot of years, and and it was uh, it was amazing. Uh, just uh, an amazing time. And you know, started off on the greens, moved up um, to the blues, did uh, a couple of blacks, and and you know, clergymen should know pride goes before the fall. Um, and 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 yet, um, despite not only theology but life experience pointing to that reality, uh, I, I saw a couple of runs, and I thought those names sound fun. Um, and so I went and, and, and turned that way, and I, I suddenly found myself at the top of a, uh, of a steep hill. Uh, and it was a, <laughs> steep is an understatement. It certainly seemed steep to me. Um, and it was very steep, uh, and there were trees on either side, and not only that, but there, it was all massive moguls. Uh, and, uh, you know, and unfortunately, moguls are kind of like grief. The only way out of them is through them. And so I, I realized that there was no turning back, and I began to sort of try to slowly make my way down the mountain with some, uh, with some success, kind of falling a little bit, but, but, but pressing on all the same. And then suddenly, uh, in an instant, um, I was making that sound. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was, I was on the inside, uh, on the inside. That's what was going on at, at that particular moment. And, and in an instant, I found myself, it was like being in a washing machine. I was backwards and, and upside down. And, and I began hurtling down the mountain over all these moguls in my head as like a bobblehead bobbling around. And I thought, you know what? My foot's going to catch, and I'm going to blow my knee out. Uh, and I thought, Paul is going to kill me. Uh, and then uh, as I kept and I began to pick up speed, and then I thought, the mountain's going to kill me because I was hurtling suddenly toward uh, the trees, and I was not slowing down. And then I was, as you might imagine, I was praying, uh, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, please, please, please. And, and wonderfully, miraculously, uh, as I was about to fly into the trees, there were some saplings that came up, and I, I grabbed one of them, uh, and, it, and it slowed me down long enough that I just laid there 
Uh, and then I was just, uh, my heart uh, was beating out of my chest. I thought, oh my gosh, uh, uh, I've, I've somehow miraculously survived. Uh, and then I looked up the mountain and there was my ski. So I had to begin the climb up and I thought, you know what? Uh, the fall didn't kill me, the heart attack will. Um, as I began to make my way up and, and shockingly, there was no one else on that run. Uh, there was no one to send my ski um, down to me and I, I eventually made it out, but I was changed. Uh, I was a changed man. I was a, I was a humbled man uh, after that particular moment. And, and again, that's kind of a, a, a silly example, but it is illustrative in a way of, of what we have all experienced, how, how quickly life can get away from us, uh, whether it be uh, something medical, whether it be something relational, uh, whether it be um, something financial. And, and the challenge is, of course, it doesn't just have to come from outside. It's often things that we bring upon ourselves. Uh, and we suddenly find ourselves, like the disciples, um, face down uh, in fear. We suddenly find things uh, out of our control, and we are hurtling toward what seems like certain um, destruction and demise. And in the midst of all of that, we hear again and again and again uh, the gracious character of our God uh, who steps in in those situations in our lives, who in Jesus comes forth into the world to rescue and to redeem us and to give us the path of freedom. Uh, and that path of freedom uh, is in uh, listening to his voice. As Peter would later write, when we came to you, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths uh, when we made known to you, but we were eyewitnesses uh, of his glory. Uh, and you will do well to listen to him and to look to him as to a lamp in a dark place. The disciples there are, are on the ground, gathered uh, in fear. Things have suddenly hurtled um, out of control, and Jesus reaches down and touches them, uh, and he speaks to them, and he says, Rise up. Rise up and have um, no fear. We get a foretaste this morning in the transfiguration of Jesus, that he is no less uh, than God who has come forth into the world, who calls us into relationship, who calls us um, to follow him uh, and walk with him. And though we do it uh, incredibly um, imperfectly and so often in fits and starts, we see as well that he is a God who redeems and who restores and that he is a God who rescues us, uh, who comes to us and says, rise up and have no fear. And ultimately we can rise up and have no fear, not because of our merits or our accomplishments, thanks be to God, but because he in fact will walk the way through the cross and through the resurrection. And that through that, he will defeat the very powers of sin and death. He will give security and assurance to you and to me, a light in a dark place, a voice to listen to, a relationship which will sustain us and fill us, not merely in the life to come, as if we could say merely to that, but also in this life as well. Uh, and I invite you along with me um, to listen to his voice, um, to look um, to his light, and to see in him our restoration uh, and rescue. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise that you have come to us in the gift of Jesus, your Son, and through your gracious intervention, through your cross and resurrection, you bring redemption and restoration. Draw our 
eyes to your light, draw our ears um, to your voice, draw our hearts to you, for in you is our life and our salvation. Amen.